Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. Before we get started, I just have to take a minute to thank each one of my generous patrons for your part in keeping this podcast going. If you're not a patron yet, but you love the show and you listen regularly, please consider becoming a patron. It's really easy to do and it doesn't have to break the bank. Just head over to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. And then choose a monthly donation amount that fits your budget. It's that simple. And to thank you for your generous donations, once you've reached $100 in total contributions, send me an email to theundrapedartist at gmail.com and I will send you one of our spectacular Undraped Artist aprons. Thank you again for your support. Thank you for watching and listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Casey Ball, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Jeff, thank you. Yeah. This is exciting. It is for me, man. And it's uh, it's kind of funny because I was thinking about this last night, and I think it's been 15 years since our one and only conversation, <laughs> approximately. Yeah, so too. I'm not even sure. Uh, <laughs> seems like three lifetimes ago. I know. Yeah, you called me for those you know listening. You called me to find out if the gallery you were applying for, which I was already in, or they they had approached you, which you, that you were thinking about going into was a decent gallery. And I have to apologize for telling you yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I have to say though, thank you, because if it weren't for um, certain little lessons in life, we, we might not gain wisdom that we need for the future. <laughs> Well, that's a really positive way of looking at it. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but we all got screwed. We all got screwed. I don't know how bad you got screwed, but man, that was that was rough. Yeah, it's, it was bad. Yeah, was yeah. Bad. But again, lessons learned uh, taught me a, one thing or two about uh, being a little more cautious in business and um, you know maneuvering through this wild, crazy world, which we I guess we call the art world. Yeah, At least the, the business things yeah you learn real quick you got to really watch your back and make sure you're not getting yeah. cheated yeah so yeah. where are you showing now so um you know i after that i think uh i jumped into arcadia gallery for several years mm -hmm. and about the time where they moved to los angeles i think um the gallery was changing, my work was changing, and I we, we sort of went our separate ways. Since then, I've basically just been showing out of my studio. You're kidding and, me. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah for really? the past seven years, maybe. Did you say 11 or seven? Seven-ish, seven. give or take. Yeah, so yeah. I've been doing the same thing. It's great to hear another artist doing it. I've been yeah. ever, ever since this unnamed gallery screwed us all um i've been on my own and so it's yeah. been what was that back in 08 so it's been like oh, 50, yeah. it's been a long time yeah long and that's time. something that it would be interesting to talk about too i would love your opinion on 
I mean, that's a whole world in itself. How does one do that? Well, you're doing you know? it. What are you talking about? We should yeah. talk about that. We should let, maybe maybe it'll evolve into that, but that might be an interesting conversation. But let me let's start with you because I know a little bit about you. I think everyone knows a little bit about Casey Ball. You've got kind of a, a unique and interesting story. But let's hear it again. I want to. I'm curious if I if all the rumors are true. If if uh, <laughs> if your story is exactly what I think it is, so g- give me a little bit of history How on far Casey back Ball. Are we going here. Well, all right, let me tell you what I think I know. You grew up somewhere in the South, and then uh, at like 17 years old, you were scouring the internet or magazines, and you discovered uh, uh, Richard Schmidt, and you trekked up there as a teenager and knocked on his door, and then developed a relationship. Yeah. It's- Okay. Expound yeah. on that. Tell me a little bit about how that went down. Well, uh, let's see. Going back a little before that, just to create some backstory here. Um, you know, I, as probably most kids do, I grew up uh, drawing, doodling. You know, I was a very shy kid and uh, did grow. I grew up in Georgia um, on a mountain range there. And my sort of outlet at the time, uh, aside from playing with all the little gadgets and gizmos and toys, uh, I found that it was easier for me to communicate with other people through the medium of drawing. So I kind of dove into that and even sort of accidentally started doing a few simple, horrible commissions uh, in pencil and charcoal around uh, 11, 12 years old. And then uh, I kind of got into art because I realized, hey, you know, I might not have the vocabulary to be able to speak to people, but... I could talk to them through the paintings and through the drawings, right? So I, I found the art world very uh, therapeutic and as a means of communication. And then right around the time I believe I was 15, 16, I discovered the work of Richard Schmidt. And, you know, I think it was a little less about his subject matter that interested me it was more about the way he tackled the um the act of uh, you know the process of of painting it was this sort of like no rules fearless uh, anything goes let's uh, let's discover new methods and new ways of of uh painting and drawing that really interested me interested me because up until then, the only thing I knew was Bob Ross, and yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and growing up in the South, of course, I didn't really have access. You know, we we didn't really have uh, we didn't really we didn't have the ability to travel too much. There wasn't a lot of money rolling around. I I never really been to a museum or anything. So it was it was like Bob Ross in the morning and and seeing some sketches that my dad did. You know, teaching me how to draw robots and portraits and stuff. So I saw Richard's work and I was like, oh. This resonates with me. Um, the the power, the simplicity, and the breadth of textures that he's using. I'd never seen anything like it. Of course, I didn't see that much. But um, yeah, well, let me let me stop you there. So, first of all, how did you discover him? And then, second, how did you? I mean, you said you'd never seen anything like it. What are your thoughts about that? You just happened to go from Bob Ross to Richard Schmidt. I mean, most of us kind of uh, discover some mediocre artists in between. 
I mean, how did you come to find Richard Schmidt of all people, one of the greatest painters who's lived in the 20th century? <laughs> and then, uh, and then how did you know at that young age that he was such a rock star? Uh, I mean, honestly, up until that point, besides Bob Ross, the only other painters that I knew about were Rembrandt, because my grandmother had this uh, giclée print of Rembrandt's yeah. her kitchen wall. So I remember studying this, being very fascinated by how a person could take paint and put it in the right spot and make me feel something. So it was you know, Rembrandt, and then there was Da Vinci, of course, because I think the, the, uh, there was some uh, book or something sitting around in my parents' library that had a few of Da Vinci's paintings. And, and that was it. And, and basically, so the story mm. is that, uh, I don't know if you remember a man named Gordon Wetmore, mm -mm. who was in charge at the time, he sort of helped found the Portrait Society of America. And he was in my hometown, right? Uh, he was a friend of the family. I'm not even sure how that happened, but um, there was one point where I believe my mother was talking to him or something, and, and he saw that I was doodling and doing portraits of whatever, and he was like, oh, Casey, come on up and check out the studio, you know? And uh, in my mind, he was this, you know, he's the real artist, you know? So I, I saw some of his work, and he happened to have a book, um, Alla Prima, which mm. is Richard's Richard Schmidt's book at the time. It was a very new book. I think it was in its first edition. And he also had a few photographs there. And I remember the one that really struck me, though, even before the book was, it was this charcoal drawing that Richard did back in 1971 called Lori. And I had never seen, because at the time, I wasn't able to comprehend oil painting. Really, You know, I'm a kid. I thought that was magic beyond anything that I could ever do. The thing that I could at least wrap my mind around was the the concept of the black and white drawing both in pencil and in charcoal and i saw this photograph of richard's portrait of lori and it blew my mind the the way that he was able to simplify edges and tell the essence of a story and and, and more more deeply the essence of who she was through his eyes. I, I didn't have those words to communicate that even then, but I, I remember feeling that how how is it that I'm more drawn to look at this person named Lori more so than looking at a a different sketch, even more so in my mind back then, more so than looking at even the the, the random Rembrandt piece that I saw or or Da Vinci or something. Um, and I became so obsessed and fascinated with that magic that I kind of went on a little bit of a, a scavenger hunt to collect as many books and videos that had Richard Schmidt's name on them because I wanted to know how did he do this, especially something as simple as charcoal. I mean, how, how does a person take burnt wood, smear it onto paper, flattened wood, and make me feel it's a remarkable much. thing isn't it it is and so I, at that point i basically just like i said I, I devoured every bit of writing and you know words and videos that i could of richards and use that to sort of 
fumble and stumble and teach myself as much as I could. Um, and it was, I believe I was 19 at the time. Uh, that's when, you know, it was one of those things too, where I, I was sort of, whole, he was, I was in Georgia. He was up in Vermont, right? But this was a person that I respected very much. And I just thought that, you know, wouldn't it be great to get a chance to meet him someday? So I was scrolling around on his website and I saw that, oh, Richard Schmidt's doing a live demonstration in Putney, Vermont, which I didn't know where, I didn't know where that was at the time. So uh, I, you know, as soon as I saw this on the website, I, I picked the phone, I call someone, I'm like, hello, this is Casey, I'd like to sign up for this thing. Uh, where is this again, you know? And so I think uh, I signed up for that. And um, in between, uh, in between my classes at school, uh, I drove up, what was I believe, 20 hour drive to meet Richard, you know? I, I got there the night before and there were no hotels or anything. They were all booked up. Uh, I had I drove straight through and I remember I had to bring a tent uh, because there was nowhere to stay. So I, I found this little campsite and pitched a tent. Um, but the night that I arrived though, which I'll never forget, I was like, like the young, naive, excited person I was. I remember sort of scouting the location of the college he was in. And I remember looking around and thinking like, that's where I've got to be tomorrow to make sure I'm going to be on time and I'm not missing anything. And I remember there's this uh, lady here. Penelope and, and she was sort of looking at this kid and she's like, hello, can I help you? And I just said, oh, no, I'm good. I'm just excited for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to meeting Richard. And she asked, you know, oh, where are you coming from? And I said, well, I drove up from Georgia. And she was like, oh, well, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> would you like to come to his 70th birthday party tonight? Whoa. My mind was blown. I'm like, of course, of course, of course. At this point, like I had barely slept. So I basically you know, pitched my tent, slept for a couple of hours and showed up uh, to his birthday. And she was so kind. Um, she introduced us. And it, and it was one of those moments where I had brought my, you know, copy of all of Prima and brought a couple of little sketches and stuff. And, you know, he, he sat with me for for a few minutes and uh, he actually spilled some of his birthday cake on the on one of the pages of all of Prima as he was signing it for me. But he was um, <laughs> I still have the stain on the book here, but he was so kind. And I mean, it was his birthday. There were tons of people there, crowded room. And he sat with me for 10, 15 minutes. And basically it was just, um, he was encouraging and gave me a bit of, uh, I guess, a bit of fuel for my fire because I had at that point not really... You know how it is as an artist. We live in our cave. We we mm -hmm. we don't know sometimes what's going on. I mean, does anyone care? Am I doing the right thing? And especially at this age, I didn't know. Am I on the right track? Uh, whatever. But he was he was uh, so giving and kind and and inspiring. He was like, Casey, just you're doing the right thing. Keep going. You know, saw my work. He's like, this is really great. Um, just just keep uh, keep going, man. And uh, that was that was a really big deal for me. Uh, and he actually was kind enough also to uh, <laughs> invite me back the next weekend to paint with him and the Putney Painters. Um, so I, long story short, I drove back to Georgia the next day after his demo, drove back up the next weekend, 
and got to sit with him. I didn't do painting at the time I was doing a drawing, but um, that was, I have to say that was probably one of the biggest uh, motivational boosts of my life because I, I have no doubt that, you know, if anyone is passionate enough about something, they will probably figure it out. But I have, but I, for me at least, that was uh, a big deal to have someone that I really respected sort of give me a little bit of a pat on the back, saying like, "You're going the right direction, man. There is not one path, but you're on your path. So just keep going." Okay, I got um, a thought here. I got a, Sorry to cut you off, but for yeah, all yeah. those who are listening that want to be Casey Baugh, <laughs> uh, you've got to be willing to drive sixty hours in a week and a half for a few hours with a great painter. That's freaking mind blowing. It's crazy is what it is. Uh, you know, I don't know that all paths require this, but I do find it sometimes, I don't wanna say annoying, but I find it a little bit frustrating when, you know, I'll talk to someone and, and they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, Casey, you got lucky with, you know, just talented and you got lucky with all the things in life. You must have come from money, whatever. You know, you, you've heard of this stuff before too, yeah, I'm sure. But yeah. yes, there is always a bit of luck, I suppose. And I mean, it was luck meeting Penelope and getting invited to his birthday. But the point is, I think n not often enough do uh, people see the, I wanna go beyond even hard work and call it insanity. Uh, just um, a deep drive to it's not even, I don't even think, I, I wrestle with this sometimes, I'm not even sure if it is passion or if it's just a, a desire, like like the like the, it's a need, a need almost like the need to breathe. You know, when we find something that we're so excited about that we can't not do it. Mm -hmm. And then when we find someone or something that has these, um, whatever you wanna call them, philosophies that could help us get somewhere more efficiently, more effectively, give us the tools and the vocabulary to speak the language. Uh, um, that's just a given. I mean, I would have walked, flew, driven, whatever I needed to do. Um, and, and again, I want to say, though, it's not necessarily because I was obsessed with him. He's a person. I was very much obsessed with his philosophy and how that empowered my vocabulary to be more efficient and more of an effective communicator. That was very important to me. And I thought that he had, I mean, after what it was 50, 60 years of painting, he knew something I didn't know. And I wanted to know what that was. Mm. What'd your parents think of a 17 year old driving? I guess it's not 60 hours, it's 80 hours because you had to get home. So 80 hours in less than two weeks. To, to just meet this uh, guy in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was actually, yeah, I was still living at home at the time. I, uh, you know, okay, so I grew up um, in an unconventional way where I grew up most of my life, I was homeschooled and sort of very isolated living. My parents were my teachers for the most part. So we kind of had this school lifestyle where there were, there were no real, there's no structure to school. It was very much, we wake up, you know, we, we do some physical education. I played baseball at the time. So I was very much into my dad was teaching that and he was teaching the maths and the sciences and my mom was teaching other things. But the point is 
they were already th there was no sort of schedule on this it was just like casey what whatever whatever it is that you like and enjoy and and are excited about we're going to let you dive as deeply into that as possible and thankfully to them they were nothing but uh support with all of these things i mean okay honestly they thought it was crazy but at the same time they're like you know what you got to do what you got to do um you know they helped me print off the what was it map quest at the time there was no gps map quest they're like just you know call me when you get there and don't I, this is the furthest I'd ever been in my life. I, I grew up well, in Georgia. Yeah. The furthest up until then was <laughs> driving to Florida for the family vacation once every three years and on whatever Panama Beach or whatever, you know. So this was a big adventure. They were they were supportive, although they thought it was crazy. But, you know, at that point, I was already doing crazy things, too. And I was selling commissions around town. So they kind of thought that maybe this is an important step as well. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Man, that's amazing. So in your bio, it says that you studied with him for four years. So how did it go from just a couple weekends mm. to four solid years? Uh, I, I give credit entirely to Richard for this. After that second journey up to paint with the Putney Painters, we, we had a dinner together. I went over to his studio. We were chit-chatting about everything. And he was asking me just about, uh, you know, my life and stuff. And I had a couple of years... Prior to that, um, another insane thing, I had put together my first embarrassing instructional video um, because I, I had seen one of Richard's instructional videos and these were hard to, they're on VHS, these were hard to come by. And I remember thinking like, well, you know, uh, this is how I learned through videos and books. And I thought, well, my 17 year old self thought, well, maybe I, I could, make a video of me doing charcoals and maybe that could help some people, you know, <clears throat> sort of showing them the things that I had learned and the things that I had done wrong. It was almost in a way though, it was sort of therapy. It was the video that I wished I was able to see a few years prior to that. So anyways, I, I had sort of recorded and edited and, and produced this video and I showed it to Richard and he was like, Casey, this is really cool. Um, would you mind if I put this on my website and gave you a larger audience? Mind, of course I wouldn't mind. God, thank you. So he did that, and we became we became friends. And um, after that time, you know, we were communicating over the phone quite a bit. I was still living in Georgia, and he was again gracious and kind enough to. Uh, we were, would speak on the phone maybe once a month, and he would sort of critique some of my artwork in a very beautiful way. And there was a point that he said, Casey, you know, whenever, if ever you want, I would welcome you to move closer to me, and we could work more on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I finished college and um, packed my bags and moved. Now, I didn't necessarily want to live in the middle of nowhere in Vermont, so I chose to live uh, just outside the city of Boston because I thought, you know, maybe I could take advantage of some of the museums there, some of the art history and the culture. Uh, and I'd never been to Boston, you know, a new city or whatever. And I would basically drive to Richard's studio once every couple of weeks. And he was kind enough to give me some one-on-one -on -one critique. Uh, and the thing is, though, you know, I mean, God, it's it's like, it was, it was not, not so much 
sort of how to paint in in a way he he was he was definitely sort of giving me the tools he was expanding my vocabulary for sure but the thing that i think i learned the most uh, from him was again the philosophy of how to see how to how to be a clearer version of myself how to eliminate fear how to run an art studio i guess well, one way to do it how to navigate through the gallery world you know all these types of things so um he did that and there was a little bit of an exchange though while i was you know while i was studying with him i was actually helping film and produce some of his art videos this was something that i enjoyed uh to so so i would help him with some of the art videos and he was sort of guiding me through the spider webs of of the art world and that's that's how that went we studied together for a few years and um then there was a point where you know he's getting older and i just felt like it was time to to back off and and uh, things were going uh surprisingly shockingly well so I, I wanted to move back home and and see if i could make it as an you know as an artist back in the old hometown hmm. so uh, you kind of skimmed over the college part where did you go to college and what did you study when you were there uh you know <laughs> I, I didn't really want to go to college but it was one of those things where like uh i don't mean this in a negative way but like not, no one in my family ever in all of history went to college so i thought maybe you know maybe i could go to college and you know sort of make do the family proud um and so i i went to college uh, uh university of tennessee and studied I, I was already kind of doing art at the time and I, I didn't really know what their art program was so i didn't do anything related to art i actually studied graphic design, websites, uh, photography. Uh, I played baseball for a couple of years and um, in school. So it was very much of, uh, I just kind of wanted to learn the things that I didn't know to help my art career. Specifically like the website situation. I was like, well, I'm selling some drawings, but it wouldn't it be nice to know how to make a website? Would it be nice to know how to photograph my work? Would it be nice to know, you know, a little bit of this and the other, a little bit of business because God, I mean, we don't, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. You know, so I wanted to learn a few things. So basically that was the reason for college and a bit of what I studied. Hmm. So did all those things sum up into a degree or did you just take a few years and then you were done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They summed up to a degree, uh, which I wouldn't say that the degree itself has helped in any way in life, <laughs> uh, but the, edu the, the information, the knowledge and the experience definitely has. Yeah, you were smart. You know, I occasionally I'll get students whose parents insist they go to college. And what you did is precisely what I encouraged them to do. I'm like, don't study in the art program. I mean, unless they happen to be one of those rare colleges as an exceptional art program. But yeah. do business, do photography, do websites, do finance, do something that can help you with all yeah. the extra stuff that people don't realize artists have to do. You're running a small business. Oh, yeah. You, you're, you're being the creator of the product and the marketer of the product and the manager of, of the business of the product. Uh, it's overwhelming. And I will say even to this day, after 30 years of all of that business of art, I'm still uh, learning valuable and important lessons through failure.
Mm-hmm. Uh, which hopefully, I mean, I'm assuming that this will always happen, but um, there, there, I don't believe there's the rule book out there to like, you know, step one, two, three of how to be the artist and how to run all this stuff. I mean, everyone's got their different path, got my path. And I think the biggest uh, teacher in all of this has been failure. So yeah, we're, st- we're all still learning here. Mm-hmm. You but know, picking one thing- up as much information as possible is always valuable, I think. Right. I right. do advise that for anyone who's interested in any of this stuff. You know, no one really wants to help. No one even ha- necessarily has the ability to help. You're not just going to be discovered. You got to put the work in and know your faults, whatever those weaknesses are and know those faults are. Put time into focusing on sharpening those and getting better at those so you can sort of be better at all the things or pay someone else to be good at those things. But that's sometimes tricky because of... Uh, uh, not everyone again wants to help. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? I've tried to pay people to help me with things like social media and various other mundane tasks and no one cares enough to do it well. Yeah, They just want to yeah. get paid. They want to go home. They want to do their hobbies. It's really hard to find good help. Who really it cares is. about your business the way you care about your business? It is, you know, and, and the thing is too, I, I've, uh, this is what I talk about in some of my workshops. I, 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 I like to think of the business aspect of this as another art form, because to me, it's not just, I, I don't like even like the word business in a way, the painting itself can't go out to a wide audience unless it's through a very uh yeah a well lubricated business and and so mm-hmm. i'm going to shift the word away from like the business of it and almost pack it on as an extra step to the painting process so and instead of like well i did the painting and now i've got to sneak money and sell the thing no it's more like i did the painting now in thinking of it like watering the roots of the tree rather than watering the fruits if you if it's like thinking of it in terms of how can i creatively amplify this painting to the widest audience possible through the conduits that is very much in line with the painting itself so that everything is this singular fluid uh communication so that the audience feels something very powerfully and then hopefully wants to feel more of that something and wants to exchange something for that feeling, which could be in the form of money. Money is just freedom and life at the same time. So really what they're doing is they're giving you a bit of their life and freedom to feel something from a bit of your life and freedom. And it's this beautiful exchange, which then if all that works well, money just kind of happens and pays the bills, but it's not about like the business of art. I say all this to say, after thinking about it that way, it takes the 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 staleness out of the idea of business and makes it more of a creative act that I actually then kind of can find a little more enjoyable and look for again find the, the creative ways of of uh, making it work. This episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously. Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but 
Use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I don't know very many artists who do it. I'm, I'm going to say that nasty word again, business, like you do business. I mean, and, and that is not the reason for your success. I think the reason for your success is varied. I mean, we've talked about it, your grit, your drive, some genetics, let's face it, you've got some natural talent. Um, I mean, there's so many reasons why you've had success, but one of the things that you do really well is, I mean, the videos you do uh, that, that you've online are just so artistic. And the, okay. the, the every, everything you touch is artistic. It's not, you know, for me, it's tempting to just, in fact, it's not tempting, I do it. You know, I just, I just record something and slap it on Instagram. <laughs> with you, you've got this <laughs> incredible production value with everything you touch, and it's just unbelievably impressive. So you're right, you really have, demonstrated what you're talking about, that every part of the business is an art form to you. I believe this fully, and it doesn't mean I've done it successfully all the time, but it, I don't think being an artist, I don't believe being an artist is, is this sort of partition thing that we do, at least for me. I, I think like an artist, it, it, you, it, it's a way of being and everything that you do can be art because it's not, I don't think art is paint on canvas. Art is communication and one level deeper is huh, raw, honest, authentic communication. That to me, I mean, like, this is why I don't believe that any kind of um, computer can make art because there's no authenticity. It, the computer doesn't even feel anything in this way. So when a human, even if a human is doing like a copy of something or, or whatever that might be, or even sort of like just maybe being proficient at uh, or being skilled at the language uh, or at the vocabulary of saying something, that doesn't necessarily mean to me it's, it's art either. Art starts from within. It's a way of being, it's a philosophy in a way, which means, going back to it, because there's a million rabbit holes there, but anything that you do, everything that you touch, every conversation you have with a person, every thing that you write could and maybe should be part of that same umbrella mechanism that is that you use in a painting. It's all the same, like, for me, if I'm working on a video or I'm writing or having a conversation, it's like, Casey, first step, what do I think and believe? Now let's go deeper. What do I really think and believe? Like so much so that I feel a little embarrassed to talk about it. Step one. Step two, how can I efficiently and effectively use my vocabulary in whatever art field that might be to get that across to the viewer? Step three, who is the viewer? How, you know, who is this audience that I'm speaking to? Because, it, you know, if I were to go to China and have something beautiful to say, it doesn't really matter because I don't know their language. I don't know who they are. So there's the psychology of who the viewer is. Now I put all those three things together and that in itself is part of that art, which can be applied to anything. It can be applied to having a, a guests over to the studio and having a dinner and I'm making some food maybe. That in itself, I want to treat that as a painting. 
you know, the music that's being played, the atmosphere, the vibe, mm. how the plate looks, all of this is the same as if I'm sitting in front of a canvas uh, making a painting. And it's the same for videos too. For me, I, I, I just honestly enjoy making the videos and I wanted to make videos that, that I feel like could help people because that's how I learned. And I'm not, ta I'm not taking away from my time with Richard, but up until that point that I met him, I worked for eight years alone watching videos on repeat, wearing out the VHS tape. Thankfully to him, you know, and a couple of other people learning through that medium. So I wanted to do my best to make something that was as educational as possible, um, as exciting as, as possible, and maybe as sort of inspirational. I mean, I, I still believe to this day that information is not what is necessarily, doesn't stick with us doesn't matter what you tell people. It matters how you make them feel. Mm. I could sit down on a video and be like, here's what to do, or here's what not to do, or here's what I've learned and here's what I failed at. Boring, that's what is the classroom stale. Or try to make something with a little production value that feels a little more exciting and maybe there's a, a lens flare that makes me, or whatever's happening, edited in such a way that makes me, the viewer, wanna go out. Because if I'm inspired, after watching something, even if I don't have the correct information, that inspiration is fuel for me to go out and discover it for myself. I have that, that burning drive now because of the inspiration, not the information. As a matter of fact, the information might be wrong anyways. I mean, we don't, there, there is no correct way to paint. There is no right path. Mm -hmm. there, there's, eight, there's paths. Everything is individualistic and, and unique to the own. And so in, in a weird way, it's like I try, I try my best to make the videos as inspiring as possible so that people have a little bit of that little boost, a little energy within to discover it for themselves. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, you know, you've got me. First of all, I love everything you're saying. This whole idea that art should be or should infiltrate every part of your life. Or maybe you're not preaching, but... For you, it infiltrates into every area of your life. I've thought about this so much because I, uh, I'm almost OCD. I'm obsessed with everything around me being just right. You know, my studio has to be inspiring. My home has to be inspiring. Everything has to be. If I go home and stuff isn't right, it stresses me out. It, if it's not beautiful. It stresses me out. I sat down last night. I have this backyard that I've tried to make beautiful. I came home last night. I sat down. Something was out of place and it was making the backyard not as beautiful and it frustrated the crud out of me. And mm -hmm. I often think when I, when I look at an artist's studio, and I want to comment on your studio in a minute here, and it's just ugly. And I think, I don't understand. Yeah. Are you an artist or aren't you an artist? Because if you're truly an artist at the core, aren't you seeking beauty in every aspect of your life? Or do you think the definition of art is just owning a canvas and a paint set? I don't know. And I'm not judging here, but I've often thought a lot about that and just wondered why art, the term art has been attached to painting and sculpture and not just seeking after beauty yes. in everything. 
I like to think of, yeah, I guess it's split into two ways. There, there's the professional craftsman and there's the artist. Uh, neither one is more valuable than the other, right. but there I've seen, I, I believe lots of professional craftsmen who enjoy what they do. Maybe they separate it, partition it, clock in, clock outs, whatever environment they have, that's fine for them. Like you're saying, uh, I'm not that way. I too very much believe that, well, what is it that scientifically proven? We, we become the, we become the culmination of the six people we hang out with. Just like this, we become the culmination of the environment that we're in, not just people, but any sort of affecting circumstance or whatever that might be. So I do think it's important to at least pay attention to our environment. Obviously for me, if you, I don't know what you can see in the video, but it's a sick uh, studio, is, man. <laughs> it's a sick uh, it, studio. It's, a, it's an insane playgrounds of just explosions of projects and this and that and the other. And I don't, you know, but each thing being very much in line with how I'm feeling at the time, or maybe what I need to be feeling and sort of the, there is this curation sometimes. But in addition to what you were saying, I found this a little more recent actually, where there is a time I feel like where it's very nice to have everything in such a way that calms the nerves and makes me feel inspired and creative, or at least at ease in this creative environment. But I've discovered recently that there is something also to the idea of inserting a little splinter in the foot, so to speak, flipping the table, so to speak, to make me feel something that I don't want to feel, to make me a little uncomfortable. Uh, I think that sometimes there are ways of finding inspiration through this sort of um, Willy Wonka chocolate factory where everything is in line with what I'm doing. And then there's sometimes there's some inspiration that can be found in being uncomfortable and being in a situation that I wouldn't naturally pick. You see, it's almost as if you can see yourself through a different lens. You can start seeing your faults. You can start seeing your weaknesses. You can start seeing even, I mean, we get tunnel vision. If we're always in the same, this is my studio and I'm going to do it just the way I want it to be, you know, we can sometimes uh, build little walls around our perspective that we don't ever escape from to see through any other eyes. So sometimes, you know, I, I, and, and tangibly speaking, and this could be anything, this could be rearranging the furniture in a way that I don't like for a couple of days. Okay. And I got to know more about this. So wait, are you suggesting that giving up control and the desire for beauty is actually going to enhance your work? Well, look, never and always. There's okay. no formula. To this is not ever a thing that we should always do or do all the time. I'm suggesting that the moment that we feel maybe comfortable, at least ever, ever so often, flip the table, rearrange the room, introduce a little bit of resistance, introduce a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling for a time. And again, this is something that I've been doing more recently in life, but I, uh, I will say without a doubt, it has been beneficial. How did you discover in this? more ways I can describe, <laughs> again, through failure and accidents. Uh, when life gives you its own resistance uh, and you pay attention to that, 
you sometimes realize that you learn things. So then I thought to myself, well, instead of life giving me these bits of uncomfortable situations, what happens if I do it to myself? Let's try that. And this is where this all began. Now hmm. it's definitely a ritualistic practice uh, from time to time. Uh, and I encourage that to anybody too. I mean, I, I, again, everything that I'm saying is stuff that I wish I could have heard years ago. None of this is the right thing. There's no right or wrong in any of it. It's just like, God, I wish someone would have said that to me because that would have saved me a lot of this like tunnel vision control, tunnel vision control, lack of any other perspective. And, and to me, I, I want perspectives. I want to see things through different eyes, you know, uh, and grow and learn. You know, I want to be embarrassed by the person I was a year ago because I have found so many new perspectives that that one perspective I have was a little bit limiting, limited. You know, something that, I've experienced for so many years, and I just described it, of having needing beauty all the time around me to inspire me, is so ingrained in me. And I never expected to hear something like you just said come out of your mouth. And it's, and it's made me rethink these things. And I really appreciate that because I mean, I respect you, I respect all my guests, and I've learned a ton. I never expected that. So I really want to, if you can come up with an example, that would be really helpful And how you gave yourself resistance and how you grew from it or how it improved your work or your productivity or something. Uh, you know, this can apply to so many avenues. I, I could speak about this uh, in terms of, which is what probably people would want to hear more about is in terms of the actual painting process itself. Okay. Uh, but but we can talk about the painting process and doing this. We can talk about lifestyle in general. We can talk about the studio. All of these uh, can this this sort of idea can be applied to all of these things. In a painting, it can be applied in that I'm doing a painting that I don't feel comfortable doing. I'm putting a time limit on myself. I'm tackling a subject matter that is uncomfortable. Uh, I'm using colors or brushes or tools that I'm not comfortable with. So this that's the one whole world and universe we can talk about all day and only through this bits of, if you're only painting things that you feel comfortable with how are you supposed to grow how are you supposed to change how are you supposed to learn anything so there's that examples there um limitations in colors blah 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 so then you know you look at this from the standpoint of even uh the studio itself rearranging the furniture making the temperature in the room way too cold or way too hot for a couple of days uh listening to no music listening to music i don't normally like um, staying up later than I normally would, waking up earlier than I normally would, things that make me feel uncomfortable, not eating for a certain amount of time, uh, having people in the studio while I'm working, having people, you know, isolating myself for a week at a time, you know, all of these can be sort of bits of examples, um, maybe putting up artwork on the wall that I don't feel comfortable looking at, maybe taking down all the artwork from the wall. Um, lighting the room in such a way that feels on one hand obviously very pleasant and pleasing lighting the room that feels very harsh in my eye these are sort of tangible examples that i feel like through each one of these experiments something valuable has been learned and again with each of these examples i could tell you there's there's something it's too many to name, you know, really, it's like looking at the painting aspect during the using time limit as a restriction as making myself uncomfortable through time limits, it forces me to make faster decisions to simplify and to be more bold. 
when you don't have time, you don't have time to be afraid or to overthink or to fumble around and say, well, I guess I'll sit here and lick the canvas 17 times. No, 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 I don't have time. <laughs> what is that that needs to be said? I know I feel what needs to be said. I'm going to mix it and say it. I don't have time to be afraid. I don't have time to be afraid of the, the, uh, the, the is it wrong scenario, you know? And, um, I mean, God, this is, this is all, it goes down to the, the same idea, too, of, of letting go of control, which I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole here, but this, especially recently, has been a big lesson for me. I, I kind of, and maybe, I, I don't know who you could, some people could agree with this or not. I, I grew up sort of, you know, a little shy kid that was the homeschool kid that I felt, you know, was very, I want to be good at all the things so I can not be made fun of kind of thing. And with painting, I've spent the majority of my life trying to control all the elements, trying to be the perfectionist, trying to make a painting that just was so good, you know, in my trying really hard to make this just so perfect that anyone looking at it's like, whoa, that's just so good. He didn't make a mistake anywhere, you know? I thought that would be a better painting. Same thing in the environment. It's like, if you get everything just right, that's perfection. And the thing that I realized, it's funny, it's like, it's like, <laughs> no one really, I'm speaking for myself here. I don't care about Superman without Lex Luthor. If you're, we're looking mm. at any art form and all we see is perfection, well, that's boring. I want to see someone attempt something that they're uncomfortable with, fall on their face, pick themselves back up in an honest, authentic way, and finish. So in that way, this is what I believe fully, every art form, every artwork is two things. It's the final piece that we're looking at, and it's also the journey through which the artist who created it went through. And that journey to me is just as powerful as the finished piece. And the journeys that are the more most intriguing and the most powerful are the journeys of someone not being perfect at what they're doing. So that sort of saying all that and the philosophy of all that, I want that to also come into, if everything is a little too easy or a little too curated or a little too controlled, the artwork cannot be as powerful as it should be. Mm. Because I'm not allowing for any of the, I'm not allowing for the stumbling blocks. I'm not allowing for the mountains that, 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 that I fall from on, on my face and I've got to pick myself up from that. That's being human. And what better way to connect to another human? I mean, think about it. if you're having a conversation with a friend of yours. And by the way, painting is just a conversation. It's a form of communication. What is painting? What is speaking? Speaking is I'm, I'm rippling. I, I'm, I'm, air is going through my lungs and causing vibrations in the air. You're hearing these vibrations and translating them to thoughts and ideas. Painting is manipulating light waves going into our eyes and we're feeling things, right? So we're communicating to someone. Imagine I'm communicating to, my, to a friend or you communicating to a friend and Every time you hang out with your friends, everything that they have to say is just great. How are you doing, buddy? My life is wonderful. Everything's great. Sunny days, rainbows, butterflies. There's a point where you're hanging out with your friend and you're kind of like, dude, not that I'm asking for negative here, but let's be real. I want to know what's really going on with you, man. I mean, you can't just be Superman, right? 
Mm -hmm. So looking at it from that perspective, when do we truly connect with another human? When we're real, when we're honest, and when we show our vulnerability, when we open our heart and we say, I'm afraid of this, I failed at this, this is how I'm trying to pick myself back up. This is, at least in my opinion, how I connect with my closest friends and other humans. So if my goal as a painter is to connect with other people, what better way to do that than to be vulnerable, show failure as much as possible, show failure through the process, show that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm gonna keep trying. And actually this was, I, you know, I'm not gonna do five preliminary studies to make the perfect magical painting anymore. I'm gonna actually just dive into the deep waters and be a human and see if I can get through this difficulty as a human so that you can relate to that and we can both share something that is, again, human, not perfection. Okay, I'm hearing two I different things, though. No, this is good. This is great. I'm, but I, I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing two different, not different things, but two things that are similar but not exactly the same. So one sounds like adding resistance. And I'm going to put, I'm actually going to put two things into one category and then one another. Adding resistance, being vulnerable. And I'm hearing that adding resistance is going to challenge you, uh, cause you to uh, think differently, bring different solutions to the table, um, bring more authenticity to the paintings. Then I hear this other side that's saying, change the furniture around, turn down the air conditioning, these types of things that are, are more of uh, letting go well let's say the furniture thing letting go of beauty i and i see that those things are a little bit different they, they seem a little bit different to me whereas one yeah you're adding resistance so that you're strengthening yourself you're bringing out your authenticity you're challenging yourself you're being vulnerable those things make a lot of sense to me but at any point are you giving up your journey or you're, you're striving toward beauty. Is that, cause that's the thing I'm talking about. You know, when I'm sitting in the backyard and things are just not right and I gotta get up and I gotta fix it so I can go sit and relax. That is because I don't wanna give up my what you mean beauty. By beauty too. I mean, what, what, is, what is beauty? What, what, well, what, your, what your, it really doesn't matter beauty? what it is. It, what, what matters is your perception of beauty. So are, are you saying- My perception of beauty is authenticity. Uh, oh, it, it, in a way, okay, let me, let me rephrase. It's being as human as possible. Um, it's, it's um, I mean, beauty is such an abstract, it does, I mean, does, even something that I find beautiful yesterday, I don't find beautiful today. So in a way, beauty is irrelevant. What is the only thing that's relevant to me is not beauty, it's simplicity, but authenticity and simplicity. Poet, poetry would be basically the, the simplicity of a, of a thing, but that's a whole different conversation. Authenticity and vulnerability and rawness and realness and authenticity, being a raw human, that is kind of the only constant beauty. And that goes back to the main conversation that I'm trying, that I'm fumbling around talking about, which is how do I as a human constantly stay authentic? How do I constantly find ways of 
being um, just being real and and not gaining too much tunnel vision. And that's the shifting the furniture change because it's it's not about it's nothing that we again even finds. You know, I don't believe in finding it. I believe in staying in line with it as we go through life day by day. Every day, every day, I'm shifting who I am. Therefore, I'm shifting what I believe. My perspectives slightly change in what I find beautiful. So it's not about the beauty as so much. It's about what is that perspective. And I like to challenge that perspective as much as possible. That's the one thing we're talking about. That's one of the rearranging of the room and adding challenges. And then in addition to challenging that perspective, I want to actually then put forth in the artwork that I'm doing that journey of challenging that perspective because that's just as important as the finished piece. So those are the two con side conversations happening here. Okay, so are you saying that because beauty is subjective, yeah, that it's futile to seek after beauty. So focus on adding resistance, adding struggle in order to seek after after authenticity and humanity. I, I think, yeah, it's less about beauty. Beauty is not something that we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about huh, raw, pure authenticity as a human within ourselves through that it will automatically again water the root of the tree not the fruits through that the fruit will be in some way beauty beautiful in some way i, I don't think in no part am i ever thinking like i gotta make something beautiful eh. i've got to make something that connects to another human that allows maybe them it shows them a different perspective on something just like it's showing me a different perspective through that is beauty in a way, but that's not the goal. That's not what I'm thinking. It could be a goal, but that's not what I'm thinking. It's just be authentic, be pure, be real, be be bold about it in a way as much as possible, but also allow for those, um, it's like be bold and vulnerable at the same time. But that keeps coming, it keeps, I keep wanting to say that it was like be raw, just, what is that old saying? It's like, you know, know thyself, Know who you are and be okay with sharing it. And through that, you're connecting to people. Hmm. I hate it. That, I hate beautiful. it when younger people are so much smarter than me. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. I'm constantly being humble, humbled on this podcast. That's good oh, stuff, God, man. God. You really have, you really have gained wisdom in, uh, as you put it, your failures, but, and your successes. Cause that, that's, that's, that's really insightful perspective. And I'm going to take that to heart. I appreciate that. But I, I got to add this, though. Somehow, you personally are still arriving at beauty because your work is off the charts. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Thank you. Just <laughs> gorgeous work. <laughs> I appreciate that, Jeff. You know, I, I still remember seeing your work for the first time. It was your sunglasses. I don't know what this series is, but I just remember it was the figures very brightly yeah. lit with sunglasses. I remember seeing these thinking... How does a person paint the translucent sunglasses like this? <laughs> you exactly. thought that? That's funny. God, that is so <laughs> good. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's something that most people listening won't even recognize. I don't even think you can find that stuff on the internet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I maybe I should have brought that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I love that stuff. I just got bored of it. But yeah, but thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Well, I, I, back to your studio. One thought I had is you're in New York City, right? I'm in Brooklyn. Yes. Okay, um, that is some studio for Brooklyn. 
I, I have to say, you know, there are, I guess life is, is sort of a combination of hard work and luck. And I, I feel very lucky and grateful to have found this studio. Uh, it's sort of, um, not to contradict everything I just said, but looking out the window out of one of the windows here, I'm sort of on the water on the upper base, seeing the Statue of Liberty and stuff. And uh, it, for me, is very therapeutic, healing, and also inspiring, inspiring in so many ways. I mean, it's a 260-year-old building, uh, and I'm in a part of Brooklyn that's affordable, so it's not astronomically expensive. But um, just through sheer luck and people being kind, was I able to get the space? And I feel that it's, uh, I'm just, I want to take advantage of every moment here and, and not waste uh, this gift that I feel like I have. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. I mean, the square footage alone in, in New York, it's just mind blowing. And are those windows north facing too? So no, uh, <laughs> these windows are west facing. Oh, that's I have a south so it's not perfect. So I've got sun coming <laughs> here all the time, you know, but, but, but I have to say though, you know, if I want the, if I want natural light, I'm going to paint outside, Okay. Uh, which I do often. And if I don't want natural light, I, I often find myself painting at night anyways. So I find that I'm going to be working from my uh, trying to, you know, tugboat, they tried uh, artificial lights, um, but, you know, we can't have everything that we want. No, I, yeah. <laughs> you can't complain when you've got a studio like that, right? Just because you have West windows. No complaints. No, no complaints. complaints. Better, than, better than the kitchen I used to paint in in my first apartment. Yeah, and 260 years old. Wow, that's something else. Yeah, there's some, there's some some good ghosts in this building. Yeah, that is too I, cool. I try to put them to work helping me paint here, you know. <laughs> well, you know, let's look at your art now. I'm gonna pull up your website. Oh God, oh God. But uh, be first, I'm gonna, I don't know if this will embarrass you or what, it's on your website, so I'm gonna assume it's oh, not. But yeah, the, I've the got to pull up your early work. Look at the art. It's, it's probably the oldest. Uh, <laughs> I've got to pull up your early work just so I can, because it's funny. I mean, I feel like you and I, when were you born? What's, what's your birth year? Oh, I was born in 1984. Okay. You're a lot younger than me, but I got a late start. You got a relatively early start. We're on, kind of on the same trajectory because we kind of came yeah. up together. You started at 17. Yeah. I started at 26 and I'm 10 years older than you. Um, yeah. But because I remember this when I was starting out, you painting these paintings and just following mm. you. And I remember actually standing in the gallery we talked about. I don't want to name names. <laughs> That's why I'm being all, you know, sort of mysterious here. But the gallery that we, sh we showed at together with the director of the gallery and looking at this painting, he and I, and talking about this painting and, and how beautiful it was. That was so long ago. It's yeah. just wild how much time's gone by. And this painting too, I remember when you painted this. My gosh. And this and this was one of your shots. earliest, right? This yes. was on a magazine cover, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't this on American Art Collector? Uh, yeah, I believe that was the Artist Magazine. For Artist that Magazine. One. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. man. I'm a stalker. You know, what are you going to say? No, no. I, <laughs> you're bringing back all these memories. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I feel like, you know, I feel like I was five years old when I painted this. Yeah, uh, I can't believe I remember that. A great significance, like the one there of my daughter. I, I will always cherish and value this painting here. Oh, man. Uh, do you own this or do you sell it? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a piece that uh, I will forever... Uh, hold dear and close to me. Um, 
it was one of those paintings too. You know, sometimes we tell the canvas what to do, and sometimes the canvas tells us what to do. Yeah. This is one of those paintings where the canvas was like, here's what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And you're along for the ride. And that was one of those paintings um, that to this day brings back, obviously it's my daughter, so it brings back a flood of good memories and uh, special times. And then the painting itself, so many little happy accidents happened because of this one that uh, I can't help but smile when I look at it. Yeah, how old is she now? She's 16, almost 17 Dude, what now. an old fart, man. She was three years, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was three years old there, so. Uh, Amazing. I don't know, what are you gonna do? Amazing. All right, so, and then it seems like your your work is set up in order of your series, because then I remember your static series coming up, and this would have been like probably late 2000s, am I? This was 2012, I believe. I had just moved to New York, and mm -hmm. for me at the time, I was very interested in flipping the table. Um, I was so sick of the same old work I was doing. I, I felt that I wasn't being authentic. I didn't know who I was, so I really couldn't be authentic. So when I moved to New York, I was like, all right, Casey, what are you doing? Why, why are you painting these pretty you know, scenes and all the pretty, the, the beautiful things. Like, why does that even matter? And this is what I was telling myself, you know, it's like, what are you, who are you? What do you believe in? What is your perspective? And this was the first time I think that I opened that door a little wider and mm -hmm. took a little bit of a leap of faith. Uh, you know, I just moved to New York. I just started showing with Arcadia. And I remember, um, <laughs> I remember the owner of Arcadia, he, he, he came to visit me when I, because when I moved to New York, I only had like eight months to do an entire solo show. My first solo show in Arcadia, I had the pressure was on. I think the owner of the gallery was expecting me to do something that was like the works we just saw in the past series, you know, the people in the field or whatever it is. And, and he, he sort of saw some of the, the earlier versions of the paintings we're looking at now in the static series. And he's like, wait, what are you, what are you doing? Why are there lights and wires and stuff? Um, and I just remember just telling him, I'm like, look, man, uh, I, this is what I have to do. Um, I believe in this, this is who I am. And I, I really need to give something to you that's authentic. And for me, I grew up, my dad's an electrical engineer. So I grew up building machines and I very much was into technology and all the things. And I was at that time sort of struggling within myself with this idea of, you know, what is technology's role in our lives? Is it suffocating us or is it uh, boosting us or both or whatever? So this show to me was exploring that from a thematic standpoint. But in addition to that, it was also me exploring my own limitations as a painter and thinking like, what would it be like to paint a television? What would it be like to paint actual fluorescent lights and wires? Like, I've never seen that. I've never done that. That feels uncomfortable, but it feels right. It feels authentic and I need to explore this. So for a lot of these scenes, I, I sort of, um, I set the stage as I still do today. I built like, you know, I built these actual scenarios, like almost as a person would do for a theater. I would build these rooms and, and, and hang TVs and lights. So and you bought the... all these TVs? Well, in this in this specific one, I bought a couple of TVs, and I basically would use I would move a couple Tile of televisions them. around in different places to use as inspiration for how mm. the wall perspective would go. And to see that actual perspective, I used two pieces of foam core where I would cut out little squares and light them, so you could actually get the perspective looking down the hall. 
as if they were televisions. And then all I had to do was look and see how to paint a TV, which is this sort of weird um, CTR, um, CRT, CTR, I can't remember, uh, cathode ray, CRT tube. So it was like, um, they gave me enough information. And then, you know, even with this painting we're looking at now, it's like this, you know, the, the model here was wearing, I wanted a different world. So we found blue trash bags. And I was like, I'm going to create a new world and wrap her up in trash bags and make a, you know, make a new wardrobe that maybe fits within this universe that I wanted to kind of create. Um, speaking about technology and humanity and organic synthetic. Uh, that's what this whole show was about. It was a lot of fun. I, and I do want to add lastly, though, that going back to that whole uncomfortable situation, it was the scariest thing for me to do this because, I mean, you know, at that time I was selling paintings and I had a bit of a collector group built up, thankfully, and I was afraid of losing all these people. And what ended up happening was after the show, I did lose a lot of collectors. People were like, I don't like this work. This is ridiculous. What is he doing? However, through, I, I, I want to imagine that it was through some sort of authenticity or trying to be more of myself, I gained a new collector group. People that didn't respond to my old paintings of the girls in the field, they responded to the ideas that were happening here. So that was a lesson to me to never do anything out of fail, a fear of failure or fear of, of losing a business uh, foothold in the door, you got to be authentic and follow who you are now and trust that someone out there will resonate with that frequency. As with every painting we do, our goal is not to make everyone like it. No matter what you do, someone's going to love it and someone's going to hate it. Technically, someone can just be okay with it, but I would like someone to love it or hate it. That means they feel something from it. So the idea is always, you know, be, 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 be sort of searching for that authenticity and trust someone will get it. And that's what this whole show was about. And that's what it taught me. You know, after talking about, uh, after harping on the idea of authenticity for most of this podcast, I think uh, I'm saying all these things mainly because, not because it's something that I've successfully done, but something that I wished I would have done more of. There have been many times in my life that I was either misled or led to believe that I had to play a role as an artist. You know, we're supposed to be the artist or whatever that might mean. And I've made many mistakes and I've had sort of gone through many failures and, and even sort of uh, unsuccessful representations of maybe my work or, or myself as an artist. And, and I, I really, I don't want to call that a regret necessarily because we have to go through these things to learn. But I want to say, though, that I'm harping on this because it's something I wish I would have heard early on, and it's it's a goal that I think is important, um, but definitely not something. I, I, I guess I'm just trying to say that um, I, I wish that that was taught more. Uh, I wish that was taught more to me and to other people, the, the idea of really trying to pursue the authenticity. The times in my life and the times in my work that, I consider to be again the failures are the times when, when I was playing a role because again, I, who knows how to do any of this stuff? But it was like, oh well, you know, I'm supposed to dress a certain way to be a certain type of person because that fits the stereotypical arts artist role, and that's going to make my art better in some way, or maybe that's what the galleries want to see. And well, I've got to represent my social media in a certain way because that's going to be better somehow. Blah 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 blah. Um, all of that is ridiculous and horrible and destroys the thing that we're really talking about. And I want to be clear about that. 
that um, for anyone seeking the this sort of path as an artist, which is an insane path, I think if there is one little thing that I wished I would have heard is completely forget about the stereotypes, forget about all of these sort of rules or the things you're supposed to do, and just figure out who you are, even if you're, uh, you're doing something that's an embarrassment or whatever, try to own that and be as authentic in that journey as possible, not again trying to be Superman or whatever that is, be yourself. And through yourself and through that authenticity comes original work, original style and all of these things. And I just wanted to preface by saying that it's it's definitely not something that I've done. And even looking back on some of the paintings and stuff, I'm like, oh, that was Casey not being authentic. That was Casey being authentic. This was him being completely a different person, playing a role. No good. This is being authentic. And I think that's very, very important uh, for anyone in this in, in this creative field or, or trying to be an artist to, hmm. uh, to think about at least. Man, speaking of being vulnerable, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, <laughs> that that's really cool of you to talk about that and that and to it to I mean, I don't know if you've done it or not, but at least state that you believe that there have been times where you felt like you were playing a role and not actually being true to yourself. I Absolutely. Think, I think part of the problem and we've all done that, right? But not everyone yeah. admits it. Um but yeah. I think part of the problem is we are kind of taught about authenticity, but we're, we're not taught the correct definition. You know, it's like when I was in art school, I was led to believe that authenticity meant being different. Right. And it's, and so I wouldn't be authentic until I did start playing a role until I did look artsy until someone could see me walking down the street and say, that guy must be an artist. Right. And, and, and in reality, some of the greatest artists out there, you wouldn't recognize them. You would think that they were accountants. And they're unbelievably gifted. I remember gifted. seeing this, uh, who was it? I believe it was Alex Konevsky, one of my favorite painters of, of this time, one of them. Um, I remember seeing him, at a, just seeing him out, and I was just like, my God, he's just He's just him. He's just a dude wearing a T-shirt, walking down the street, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, something about that is really cool. He's not just <laughs> a thing and paint all over his, you know, he's just like a dude that's just going to grab a burger at the place. And I'm like, my God, that's so cool. One of the, that was one of the little lessons of like, Casey, why aren't you more, why aren't you more, not like him, but you have... You have a human, you're a human too. Be yourself, man. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's scary to do so though. It's scary to, to not play that role. Uh, and, to, uh, and there's a bit of ego involved and I think in all this stuff too. We want to look the part, we want to, you know, and all that shit stuff should be pushed aside as early as possible, but uh, it's, it's not about us anyways. It's, it's, about the, it's about connection and, and all these things. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> That's a hard that. one. It is. It is. I, I, you're certainly not the only one to have gone through that. I know. Like I said, I've done it. I can imagine most of us have at some point. So uh, back to your art here. One of the things oh. that I have to point out is just how much work went into this painting where you're cutting out squares out of foam core and shining light through them. So you get the, the feel of the light coming through and shining onto the plastic bag dresses. 
and and you set up this whole scene how much work went into it before you even put paint to canvas i think that's what separates artists like yourself from an amateur in a lot of ways it's it's realizing that there's a lot more to the magic than just being good at whipping the brush around uh in a way whipping the brush around is just a small percentage that last little sliver <laughs> is now you you called it work and stuff but to me, it is a lot of work but to me that's part of the fun of a painting not for all of them but even the one we're looking at now i mean that's a little room created out of foam core where i cut holes out of the back and she's wrapped in saran wrap with all the things but to me i find that just as enjoyable personally uh, as the painting process itself it's 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 almost like the pre-production of the film in a way it's the painting could be a one frame movie but it, this is the fun of like casting for the right uh, actor in the movie but uh, what's the wardrobe what's the setting and i really enjoy building these things because oh it's just fun honestly it's it's like a hands-on tactile way to see yeah. what light's gonna do and make little worlds you know and um i i find all that fun it's very exhausting it's a lot of work I and mean, it's not i mean some it's not necessarily expensive it's it's just a lot of work but it's fun and i Again, there's no right way of doing anything, but I do encourage anyone who's maybe painting, trying to paint their own uh, universes, so to speak, their own worlds. Uh, I recommend dabbling in uh, trying to play sort of a set designer in these ways. I mean, even if it's a portrait, we can come up with creative ways of lighting and wardrobe and all the things. And what's the setting? What's the room? Uh, and it's fun to make those things because happy accidents come from this. It's one thing to visualize and just to be exact with this, but it, while creating these rooms and these uh, circumstances and environments, the act of building them showed me things that I never could have thought of. And I love, love, love um, setting the stage for happy accidents. Mm -hmm. I'll go even one step further. Uh, the this, this solo show that I'm working on now, which I haven't really posted, I've, I've really shown much of this yet, but it's going back to more so the roots of uh, building and designing these sort of environments and things. And, and to be honest with you, I'm dabbling now, and this might be a sticky subject, but I'm dabbling now in working with uh, collaborating with other people to create these environments. Because I, I guess after like, whatever, almost 20, almost 30 years of painting, I kind of got a little bit annoyed with the idea that I'm in full control of everything. And I kind of, you know, miss those days years and years ago, I would dabble in playing in the music in a band with other people. And I miss the collaborative thing of like, what happens if a person with an idea also works with another person with a good idea and you guys are in, you know, in sync with each other, but what if their idea sparks some cool thing for you and then you spark something for them? So tangible terms, like now I can work with a person who maybe is a wardrobe stylist or a person who you know, can help uh, build something or whatever it is, or light scenes, not to say that I'm giving that job to them as like a, uh, you know, production situation, but it's more of like the fun of, hey, I've got this idea that I wanna paint this person in this scenario. And I'm working with a friend who's like, oh my God, but what if they were wearing this one thing? And I'm thinking, oh my God, I never would have thought of that. That's interesting. So what's happening is we're both, or maybe a couple of people being authentic, being, uh, curious, being vulnerable, and combining those two forces to create this inspiring environment. And then, of course, I get to paint because it's fun. 
But I find that that's just one extra little layer that I've been dabbling with recently that I just find fun. Maybe it's deviating from the truth of, uh, you know, personalized art. I don't know even if that means anything, but it is something that I'm diving into a little more often because I just find it fun. Hmm. So are you hiring these people or is it just a friendly collaboration? Both. It both. Could be both. Okay. Uh, okay. Sometimes it's a friendly collaboration. If it's something extremely taxing and takes a lot of time, I will put some money into it because again, I'm, I'm just investing money to make sure they're taken care of so that I can create a painting that I find more interesting. And then the, the funds from the painting can go back into the sea of more ideas for right, more right. projects for later on. You know, we... and again, this doesn't happen with everything. It's just something I'm dabbling with for fun sometimes. It's just a new way of looking at it that I find interesting, especially since I've really never done that before. It's fun to work with other people. Well, you know, I'm certainly not opposed to that. And let me tell you why. So, I mean, I, I haven't done it yet, but here's why I'm not opposed to it to a point. If you go plain air painting and you paint a beautiful cathedral, you're collaborating with an architect. You That's know, right. and the only difference is you directed the person you're hiring to make your set for you instead of just going out and finding one that already was made. So I don't see much That's of a right. difference, except you actually are maintaining more control than just going out and painting the cathedral. So, yeah, what, what I'm curious I about, agree. though, I mean, isn't, isn't all of it a collaboration, even painting a portrait is a collaboration with the person you're painting in a way. Uh, you could be the director all day long, but at the same time, how, how can it? How can every painting not be some form of collaboration? So why not turn the volume up on that just a little bit and see what happens for fun? Well, in a way, you're turning the volume down because you're 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 collaborating, but you're still directing, as opposed to just painting something that was presented to you by nature, right? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I meant up on the idea of this. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. you could even take it one step further. If you're a landscape painter and you're a religious person, you're collaborating with God. I mean, there is no, there is no. Uh, you could argue that we do nothing independently in art. So one Absolutely. thing though, you said how you enjoy the process. I just got to show you this. Uh, what I'm, what this is, what I'm doing. When we're done with uh, this podcast, this. you're going to laugh. Okay, one sec. <laughs> All right, so I am, I am uh, always a treat for the ladies at Joanne Fabric when I go in and start buying thousands of dollars worth of fabric. <laughs> okay, so today they're like, what is this dude doing in here? I'm like the only guy in the whole store. Today I'm making right. this. <laughs> oh my god, look at that. I'm making This is exciting. I'm making dozens of tiny little costumes for my little dolls. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing today. No, what does a painter do I for a living? So well, sometimes I paint, sometimes I'm making little doll costumes. <laughs> Right. And that also is the art form. That that's it an is. art form in itself. And you're it's fun. You're combining art forms and what's the goal at the end of the day? Communicating ideas and stories and feelings. Right. However, that might happen. I mean, is a film not an art form? Are certain films not art? Of course. Are, are they not? I mean, of course they are. But if you think about a film, I mean that's hundreds of people making thousands of things and all the things, you know, but photograph, painting, what you're doing makes me so happy because that's 
it's going to allow you to, in a way, have a bit of control that, or it's going to expand your stories. Yeah. And show the viewer something they've never seen before in a beautiful, the word beautiful way, in an interesting, unique way that is more authentic maybe to you because your hand is in all of these little realms and it's not just what's happening on the canvas, which is fine. We're going, we're, we're, we're peeling off layers of the artichoke to find uh, almost ways of boosting the art form. Um, God, it, that's so exciting to see. I'm really happy that you showed me that. Well, Thank if you. you really like it that much, if you're ever in Salt Lake, you're welcome to play with my dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm willing to share. All right. So, so this, then you moved from this series to what you're doing now. Well, maybe not now. I guess now is different because we don't see now. After that series, I, I had spent a little time in New York and I was very fascinated with the nighttime of New York. Yeah. Um, I, I was fascinated with the transformation. I never lived in a big city. I grew up in a little mountain in Georgia and I lived outside of Boston, still outside of Boston. And being in New York sort of taught me about myself. And I started questioning uh, this interesting thing that happens. And I guess big cities, it's like people are a certain way. They, they wear a certain mask during the daytime. And at nighttime, they often change their mask to either become more of who they are or to wear a mask. And I was very fascinated with the idea of what happens at night. And I, I was interested in, I, I, I like nighttime. I like the lights and all the things. So I, I took what I had learned from painting the electronic stuff from static. And I wanted to apply that technically to nocturne paintings and trying to really capture the vibrance and brilliance of nighttime lights. And also trying a, a little bit to put some sort of story in there about, you know, the transformation of a person into night or, or what happens at night. Some of these scenes where, uh, you know, a, a person could be on a bus or at a diner after maybe a late meeting or waiting on someone at a bar or something. Uh, I, I do want to say, though, that even during that show, which was years and years, 10 years ago, I, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I wasn't still being as authentic as I should have been. Um, but I was doing my best at the time, and I was trying to create stories of humans and how they deal with, you know, who they are at night and trying to, you know, build a little world that way. And this is this whole show's about. Hmm. So, you know what I find interesting about this series is that a lot of artists, and this isn't, this isn't a crack, I'm one of those. When I used to work for photography, and now I've started working for photography again, a lot of us, our goal is to hide the camera and, and not because we're ashamed of it or anything, but because we're trying to make our paintings use the camera as a tool without making it look like we're painting photography, right? That's the goal of many yeah. painters. You, on the other hand, you're embracing it. I mean, you're painting the Boku in the background. <laughs> And you are absolutely embracing it while still keeping your paintings painterly. So there's still paintings, but you're saying, no, this is definitely a painting of a photograph. Here it is. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, to me, again, what's the goal? The question I ask myself is, how can I create something that makes a person feel something 
uh, more deeply or in an inch or, or, or see something in an interesting perspective or whatever. And if it requires whatever tools that might mean, if it means pulling together photos or, or blurring out photos or whatever, I, I, the, the gauge for me is what looks more interesting to my eye? What kind of conduit can sort of tell an, a, a story in a certain way that in some ways, this is how our eye sees. In some ways, it's beyond, it's outside of reality and more photographic as we know it. None of that really matters so much. It's not like I'm trying to make a point of these look like. It's more of just like, this seems more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I want to paint it. I want to combine my favorite aspects of oil paint with my favorite aspects of photography because they're all doing the same thing. And then my favorite aspects of composition and light and all the things, blah, blah, blah. But it's, I, I guess I'm trying to like sort of cherry pick my favorites out of everything to hopefully tell an interesting story, a story that's more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. That's what I was diving in with this. Uh, yes, and even looking like this, this was this, the reference for this was actually video, some video footage and a series of photographs that I kind of pieced together as reference. Uh, for a lot of these, I did uh, plain air from life uh, studies to get some color notes and stuff. But all of that was to funnel in to make an image that said something to me in an interesting way so that when I look at it, I feel, I, I feel a sense of who is this guy and what is he going through and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and can the lighting and composition and uh, bokeh, so to speak, or the blurring of edges, can that amplify the story, make it more interesting? Um, and this was, this was the experiment with this show in this way. Yeah, well, I think it's very successful. It's absolutely extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you. It really is. So another thing I've noticed about you is because you are working photography, I, it's clear that you've found it important to become a good photographer because you are taking some very beautiful references. I mean, the soft lighting on her with the rim light is just beautiful. So how much... How much equipment, how much stuff are you bringing on the scene to put these photos together? Because they don't always feel candid. They feel like, from someone who's experimented a little bit with photography, you would have to put a little extra effort into getting some of this reference. Am I wrong? Yeah, a lot of those, I, I don't want to say I brought a lot of gear, but I, I definitely was uh, using all of my learn skills with the camera to get the best. And, and for most of these, most of them, they are pieced together from a few different photos, but even each photo, I want the greatest exposure. And, and it's not even, it, it's more of like, when I'm standing there, I know what I wanna see and I want the camera to capture as much of what I wanna see as possible or even deviate from reality as much as possible to be inspiring for the painting. But as far as gear goes, I mean, I'm not bringing with any of these, I didn't bring any sort of other light sources. I was working with net with the light in the scene, but I would sometimes bring a little reflector. Or, That's what I was um, wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I would, but, but I'll be honest though. A lot, and a lot of the reference here is from video footage. I would just run video and just try really? to capture these moments. Yeah. And I would take, I would pause areas of things and piece things together this way. But, um, you know, what, what is it? What is the reference? The reference is inspiration. It's all inspiration. I mean, if I could have painted, and here's the thing too, if I could have painted out those from life, I still might not do that because my goal isn't painting necessarily painting reality. My goal is to create an interesting experience for someone who's looking at this painting. We watched the movie, the matrix. Uh, the whole movie is green. 
that's not reality, but it's good that it's green. It makes me feel something that's in a way amplifies the story. So with these paintings, I mean, if you were there in person, some aspects of being in person are powerful and some aspects were not. Some aspects, the camera was able to give me its own interesting perspective. And then some of that happy accidents of lighting and video. So I guess saying all that to say, mm -hmm. uh, I was utilizing every possible method I knew to gather as in reference that was interesting to me, even if it meant modifying or capturing reality, shifting hues, inventing colors or whatever, just to make something that was gripping to me at the time. But equipments, yes, I mean, I'm carrying a camera around, video footage from my camera, sometimes a reflector, or just working with the model in the scene to allow them to find the right lighting. So I've got this composition or rim light around a person, and if it wasn't exactly what I wanted, and if you were to see some of these original reference reference images, they weren't, you know, I, I did a little bit of uh, paint, uh, paint magic was, was utilized on some of these too. Right, uh, right. Because again, it's not, a, what is it about? It's about the painting. Making an interesting. Yeah, making an making interesting. interesting painting. Interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Dynamic, broad, yeah. breadth, textures, these kind of things. So... Can we, is there a way to get a glimpse into what you're doing now? I, I'm on Instagram now. Do you, have you posted anything from your new show? Uh, I believe the one that you're the, the man playing the bizarre trumpety thing, uh, is, I don't want to say that's part of the new show, but that's in a direction towards the new show. Okay. Um, and I say a direction in the new show. It's, 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 it's the door that leads to the hallway to the giant room of the show. But it's a little guy. Uh, yeah, that's a 20 by 2436. Oh, that easel is deceiving. It looks like a little yeah. plain air Pashad thing or something. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a bigger piece. Um, okay. This, this, uh, this is, without going too deeply into any of it, and I only don't, it's not that I'm trying to hide things from the listener. I just... Uh, I don't love talking about my work, my shows before they happen because it's I, the, the show will talk for itself. But I will say that I am interested now, and, and I also want to preface by saying, you know, for the past several years, I found a bit of a, a writer's block, so to speak. Um, a lot has happened in my life. Uh, a lot of changes have been going on. Uh, good times and bad times. And, and I, and I just found that I wasn't really, I, I kept doing sort of these echoes of my past work, which is fun and it's fun and everything. It pays the bills and they're, they're fun to do, but I found that I wasn't really able to find this authenticity or this excitement about work up until very recently. And this is what this whole new show is going to be about. And this excitement, the work has to do with, um, to me, I'm excited about it because it's the most authentic of anything I've ever done letting go of old habits, uh, being a little more honest with myself, uh, a little more vulnerable. And so this show is going to be about those things, about age, about time, about um, uh, the circle of life in these ways, about a little more thematic, story-driven. I'm, I'm utilizing a lot more of these sort of stages and sets, even the one that we're looking at here with the water. I built this little miniature, little miniature room and filled it with water and lit the back thing, you know, and um, and sort of piecing together all these ideas, and I'm and hiring these um, models now of all different ages and um, you know genders and everything. So sort of tell 
deeper story and a story that's a little more authentic to me rather than hanging on to the thing that we talked about earlier, the pretty picture, which is what I've had a hard time letting go of for a long time is paint the pretty picture. No, not about any of that. It's about authenticity. So this is the show, the upcoming show will be the first show that I feel like I've been more authentic than anything else. I'm really, really excited about that. Okay. So, uh, okay. So are are you telling me you're not going to be painting beautiful women in this show? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Just spit it um, out, man. I, I, I wish someone would have come, come around with a baseball bat at some point in my life and been like, dude, um, there's uh, there's other people in this world that you can paint and still make a picture look interesting or pretty or whatever it is. And, and that's uh, one of the things that I can look back in embarrassment and say, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with this too. It was just one of those things where it's like, I think I held on to some of that out of convenience. Yeah. A lot of these people were my friends or someone that I was dating at the time. An another thing that uh, in, in the past, it was out of fear of, well, if I don't paint someone who has a, you know, a pretty look, maybe that will make the painting. You know, all these little subconscious fears that I will be the first person to admit uh, held my work back for a long time. Uh, I mean, pretty much that's most of most of the reference, not all of them, because I painted some other people. But on a, you know, as, as a whole, um, I'm guilty of that. And um, I'm embarrassed looking back now. It's like, well, you did your best. Now, now what is your best? Oh, so I can't wait to yeah. see this show. I mean, I, I love what you've done over, over your career. So when I ask you that question, it's certainly not coming from a critical place. Um, oh, even sure. though it might have sounded There's like I was teasing you. Like, like I, it might have come off like I was teasing you a little bit. But you are known mm -hmm. for the guy who paints freaking supermodels. I mean, like everyone in your painting is so beautiful. So I'm really curious of what this show is going to look like. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see your your new look, but I I feel like your website didn't show your last stage. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this to me is your most recent up until now, your most recent stage where you're starting to throw paint around and kind of organize chaos and talk about getting uncomfortable. I mean, uh, that I feel like yeah. this is what you're talking about, where you're just really getting uncomfortable and yet reining it back in. You, you might be able to relate to this. I'm not sure. And I only say this because I've seen some of your paintings online. The scale of them were very large. And, yeah. you know, but going, speaking on that note, uh, after I did the Nocturne show, I found myself again doing these same echoes of the same. All the paintings were, you know, the largest one was like a 40 by 60, and everything was small, you know, nothing above life size with faces. And there was a point when I was in the studio and I was like, I can't do this anymore. If I have to sit here and paint like this one more time, I'm going to throw my brushes out the window. And all of a sudden it hit me. I need to pull out the largest canvas that I can find and paint the largest face way above life size normal scale and do it with by throwing paint across the room like it's something that I had to do. And 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 when I felt that that evening it was like um it was like 11 p.m. at night, and I had this wave of excitement hit me, this wave of almost like a need to scratch this itch so much. So I ran to my studio downstairs, and I was looking for canvas, and I realized I'm out of canvas. I don't have any canvas. So I freaked out, and I, and I called my buddy. I'm like, dude, you got any canvas? Because I got to do this painting two nights, two nights. And he's like, dude, I don't have any canvas either. So I ended up... <laughs> 
uh, I ended up looking over at my window and I had this Ikea window shade that sort of comes down. It's about six feet wide and nine feet tall. And it was a black window shade made of canvas with some kind of weird rubber on. Anyways, I ripped that off the wall, wrapped that around some stretcher bars and and in like the next four hours, painted deep into the night and created, which is it's not this painting we're looking at, but an, a painting very similar to it and unleashed this sort of like need to breathe and be physical with the paints and break it apart and fracture it and 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 not be careful with it. And that's what this whole series kind of is about in a way. It's about me exploring that and maybe showing a, a perspective. Uh, again, I call it fractured faces in a way. It's almost like showing the juxtaposition of this sort of like extreme brokenness and extreme soft beauty at the same time and putting those both together hmm. on a scale that in person, especially you, you can't help but be hit by, punched in the gut. Um, so yeah, that's what this whole show is you know, about for me. I got to be honest, as I'm looking at this, and I've been, I mean, I've been seeing this for a while now. I don't know how long you've been doing it, at least a couple of years. It just occurred to me, I'm surprised you didn't come, on, come to this earlier because your charcoals have kind of been yeah. going in that direction since you started. Uh, a bit of a failure of mine was <laughs> that I partitioned charcoal from oil. And yeah. I think this happened early on, very early on in my career when I just started dabbling in oil. I almost kept charcoal in its own box over here and and had oil to be its own thing over here. And it and it was sort of went its own way. And it wasn't until this fractured show that I realized, oh my God, dude, what are you doing? They're the same. It's just communicating things. So let's steal from each other. And I mean, it seems so obvious now, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know. Those things are always obvious artists. when yeah. they're behind you. But, yeah. and I didn't even think of it till right now. And I've been familiar with your charcoal <laughs> drawing since day one. So it didn't even occur to me. But um, I just want to find a few more of these. They're kind of sporadic. Yeah, they're uh, in there somewhere. I think lower near the bottom is where the fractured pieces are. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. Oh, this one. I got to look at this. This is probably not one of the fractured ones, but man. It's after the fractured. It's almost like reeling it back in. You know, after you rock the boat a little bit to find its buoyancy, you, you find some sort of center. And this is still stealing from fractured faces by scaling it down a little bit and just trying to play and have fun with paints, honestly. Wow. That's what this is all about. This one like, this, is this, so To crazy. me, I'm obsessed with like trying to simplify. Um, you know, it's the most powerful statements are the small, simplest, shortest statements to me. It's like that little quote and you can ramble on all day long about something, or you can simplify it down to this one powerful little quote. And for, to me, these, this painting we're looking at is almost like a soul study. Me exploring the idea of what's the minimum amount of information I can get away with and to tell the story because the less we say, in a way, it's simpler, and simple is more powerful to me. And so mm. it's a fun, a, a fun sort of journey with this, with, with paintings like this, which these are kind of just one-offs. I think after the Fractured Face show, I didn't really, haven't really done a solo show since then because I, I feel like I've just been in exploration mode, which I hopefully will always be in. But it's yeah, that's it's, great. Um, I mean, COVID messed everything up with everything, so yeah. not really a chance to do a show. Yeah, you know, one of the talents that you have, 
well, several of the talents that you have. I've always been so impressed with your control of value and your control of edges. Because oftentimes you're working in a very small value range because you, you're often backlit or you're lit under a cloudy sky or you don't generally do the Rembrandt lighting. So you're working in a real small value range. That's hard to do. And you do it well. <laughs> you do it thank really, you, really well. So kudos I to you. I, I appreciate that you, um, that you recognize that. And of course you would, uh, I, I know you, you do the same as well. So it's, no, um, I'm one of the chickens that does the Rembrandt lighting. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in some paintings, but yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I guess it's just fun, man. Painting is, I, I like, I like to challenge myself and, uh, values definitely are to me, values are one of the most important aspects in representational painting, mm -hmm. uh, to get realistic. And I just find it fun to push the limits as much as possible. I don't, you can tell already, I don't like doing things that feel too comfortable too often. I, or sometimes I do it accidentally, but I really like to try to push things just to see where it goes. Yeah. And, um, I, I like to try to make things not difficult on purpose, but I think again, through difficulty and through resistance, we discover new perspectives and new ideas. And so some of this stuff is, you know, working within like a tiny little value range. How can I try to push myself to accomplish that? What, what can I find? What little, little uh, Easter eggs or, or little treasures can I find through the path of that difficulty? And, and through that, I've discovered many weird, crazy ways of putting paint on. I mean, not that I discovered them, I, I've discovered them for myself, but I, I found things I wouldn't have necessarily thought about before. You know, flicking paint on or splattering it on or using weird little tools or something that I find just make a painting um, shimmer uh, or taste better to the eyes. Yeah. Well, you, you've done it. You've definitely done it. So tell me about your palette. Are you generally using, when it comes to flesh, a limited palette? My palette, um, I like to think of my palette as it's, it's red, yellow, and blue, which is all the colors. Red, yellow, blue in the lights, and a red, yellow, blue in the darks. And the red, yellow, and blue are, from what I can find, the most powerful yellow, the most powerful red, the most powerful blue. That gives me the ability to turn the volume up when I want to, because at any time you can turn the volume down. But my palette's basically black, white, red, yellow, blue, red, yellow, blue. And, um, well, which red, yellow, and blue? What do you see as the most powerful? <laughs> not phthalo blue. You're not using phthalo blue, uh, are you? No, you know, okay, so... Because, um, come on, that's the and, one, if you get it on your shoes, you're tracking it around <laughs> for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> isn't it always phthalo blue? Uh, no, okay, not phthalo blue. Okay, so my palette's basically, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm using flake white or, or titanium white. Uh, and then basically we've got Indian yellow, which is my dark yellow, which is, I, I find, very chromatic. Uh, and then we've got the, the light yellow would be cadmium yellow deep, which I find to be a very powerful yellow. And then we have cadmium orange, cadmium red, alizarin. Um, we've got um, cobalt blue and ultramarine blue deep. And then uh, transparent oxide. So cobalt's your light, light, ultramarine blue deep is your dark. King's blue is actually my light. Uh, cobalt would be a sort of a mid-tone. So I do have a couple of little extras in there, which would be the mid-tone for the cobalt, which is, again, a convenience color. Right, most, right. Most of these are. And so Pretty is the orange. Four colors, you know, three colors. Absolutely. Yeah. Orange is convenient. Yeah. The brown is convenient. Um, yeah. The king's blue is convenient. Uh, most of it's convenient. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, King's Blue, isn't that just ultramarine blue and white, really? Yeah, I use that one, too. But it's very convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I know that, that at workshops, when people are like, what color are you mixing? What color are you mixing? <laughs> that That's frustrating. Because, yeah, right. It's red, yellow, and blue. We And that's obvious. But... What's interesting to me is is whether or not you're using a limited palette versus a broader palette. You are using a relatively, compared to me anyway, a relatively limited palette. Sounds like you've got nine-ish colors. Yeah. 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 Mine are 28. <laughs> I've got 28 oh, colors on my oh, palette. Oh, yeah, because because I crave convenience, man. Convenience. Yeah. yeah. I've got like a thousand convenience colors. So. <laughs> it does save on time. It does. I'm sure. It does. Um, but one of the, and, and the other thing is that you really, and I asked if you had a limited palette because your flesh tones, they're so luscious and, and convincing. And yet there's not a lot of color in them. They're very simplified. And like you said, that's where you find beauty in the simplicity. You've said that several times and you can definitely see that in your, in your flesh tones. I want to see if I could pull up another. Oh, here's another good example. Is this the same model? Oh, yeah. Same, same person, yeah. Yeah, very simple. There was something simple. about her flesh that was extremely uh, pale, so pale that it acted almost like a mirror reflecting all of the whatever it is, lights. And, and, and uh, I don't know. I just found her very fascinating. There was, a, uh, there was something in her gaze that I wanted to explore, I, I, I guess with all the paintings we do, they're all kind of self-portraits and I found something within her that was something that I needed to exercise. Um, yeah. But from a technical standpoint, she was fun to paint. Does she actually have white hair or is that dyed white? No, 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 it's all, this is, she's uh, sort of albino features. With uh, brown very, eyes? Very pale skin. Yeah. What? Yeah, very interesting, uh, very interesting complexions. Unusual, I didn't even know that was genetically possible. Ultimate. All right, I'm yeah. gonna just pull up a couple more of these faces, and then we'll get off off of this topic. But uh, here's all right. So it almost looks to me like you're even airbrushing on this. Am I crazy, or are you airbrushing? No, there's no. Well, the it could be considered to be airbrushing. But what I'm doing here is I accidentally stumbled upon this thing where if I take a bristle brush, yeah, and I mix my color and dip it into medium, and flick it like a toothbrush, it acts like it's sort of splattering and I can control the amount of splatter. So what I can do is I can create a palette knife stroke and then flick paint on from a distance and change my values and color. So it probably feels like airbrush because we're taking those relatively large splatters and reducing them down for Instagram. Yep. So now it looks yeah, this much is more a, fragmented. a large piece too. Uh, and, and the thing, I mean, I've never airbrushed before, so I don't even know how to work the tools, but it feels like one, I guess, one would be feeling with their airbrushing. I do like the control of, I can I can do tiny little flicks and I can back up and do these large splatters. This oh, one doesn't necessarily wow. have the large splatters as much, but there is something interesting about handling that or playing with a splatter technique just because it looks interesting. I think it adds more texture or a larger variety of texture. But um, it's just fun. It's a new way to another way to put paint on, which I find interesting. Okay, but you're using lead white, man, and you're throwing yeah, paint around uh, your studio. For, for this paint, I'm not using lead white. But regardless, when I'm working on these, I wear a big mask. Oh, that's uh, right. I did see that on your Instagram. Yeah. How do you? I remember seeing that here on the Instagram and thinking I would kill myself wearing a mask like that all day. 
I mean, how do you? How... It takes a little getting used to. Where is that picture of you? It's, yeah, it's somewhere down lower, I think. Um, and and that was I mean, obviously it's like wearing gloves and wearing a mask. Yeah, it's it looks like fun. it looks like you're painting during the apocalypse here. Yeah, it's not the most fun. All I can say is you get used to it, and all for the sake of making something look. I, I you know, when you become obsessed with an idea, it's like okay, I will make this look a certain way, or I want to explore this in a certain way. And if I have to do it with an arm hand tied behind my back, wearing a big mask and whatever I got to do, obviously, like I got to do it. And it's yeah. not fun, but it doesn't always have to be the most pleasurable experience. And you're thinking, I didn't have to drive 80 hours, so it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little little uh, perspective there. Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, no kidding. Yeah, for some of these larger paintings, it's definitely... Um, uh, it, it's a little bit of like it's a little bit like like going into war, in a way. I'm gonna suit up, and and tackle this painting in a way, or you know whatever you want to say. Do you find the drawing more difficult when you work this much bigger than life? I find it more exhausting because to find proportion, I have to back up much further away. Yeah. So I, I will say that it's not that it's more difficult because when you back up painting gets smaller in your vision. So you use the same tools. It's just way more exhausting. So it's like you make a few strokes back up 15, 20 feet. What did that do? Mm -hmm. How did that affect your mm -hmm. work? Make some decisions, run back in charge, modify, do that again. So by the end of it, I feel like I've been to the gym for 12 hours straight running around, you know, like a crazy person. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But that's what was what I was craving in this. And we, 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 I spoke about this. It's like the, the point of these pieces was that I needed to get up out of the little chair and make painting more physical for me. Make it more of I'm using my body. I'm dancing with the canvas in a way is what I really needed for this show. Okay, so let's go back to the business. So you had said at the beginning of the conversation that you've been doing this on your own for seven years. But then you yeah. you also said you have a solo show. Explain that. I don't understand. So here's the thing. For I think this is would now be my sixth or seventh. Um, all the past shows that I've done up until now have been obviously like there's an expectation from a gallery. There's a plan. There's dates and all this kind of stuff. This that I'm working on now is the first time, and this is on purpose, this is the first time where I'm not planning everything out. I don't have um, a ga one specific gallery lined up that ha with, a, with a show date. What I'm doing with this one is I'm sort of letting the letting go of control a little bit more, and I'm gonna let the sort of the, the paintings sort of come together at their own pace. Mm -hmm. And then once the paintings are done, uh, there are a handful of galleries that I've been sort of talking to that are interested in potentially showing the solo show there. So we're, we're still quite a ways away from this, but so this it's nothing's in stone yet. That's what I'm trying to say. It's basically the works. I'm about halfway finished with the show in terms of painting. Once that happens, I will show these paintings to one of the many galleries to see which one might be the best fit to represent and amplify this show. Um, and then we will set a date and, and do it that way. And so that's how I'm handling this one. So you're Which, just going to say going back into the gallery world. Yeah. Yeah. But on a temporary basis, just for this one show, or are you going to get back into but, it altogether? Never and always. But, uh, my thought at this moment is that I would like to get back to working with a gallery. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, uh, very tired and exhausted of the, 
doing this myself. I'm not the best at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I and, and I didn't necessarily even choose to do this on my own because that's the way I want to do it. it. It kind of just, I kind of felt like I was forced to do it in a way and I've done the best that I could, but I also, I, I'm just tired of playing that role. Uh, and and I, again, I'm it's not something that I want to do. I, I want to pace, I want to work with someone else who's good at that. I'm not great with handling. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm scatterbrain artist half of the time. I try to do my good business stuff, but I'm just not great at it. Yeah. And uh, I want someone who's good at it that can work with me so that I can really focus more on being authentic and doing the paintings and all the things. And they can handle that sort of more of the business side of things and make up for the deficiencies that I have in it. So if you're taking your time and letting this show develop at its own pace, I hope you don't mind me asking if, I hope this isn't too personal, but how are you paying the bills? Um, I, well, you know, I'm selling, I'm still selling paintings. Okay. Um, so you're mixing it up a little bit. Some show, yeah. some paintings on the side. You know, that, isn't that the real question? How do you, paying the bills? As an artist, it's one of the most difficult things there is. Um, I have little bits of passive income through some paintings. Uh, some videos, art videos uh, that I'm selling, you know, some commissions, um, teaching, you know, things like that. And all of that cumulatively allows me, I don't have any extra money, but I've got enough to keep the lights on and to fund the things that need to be funded in this way. And um, thankfully, um, that's all continuing. So I don't have to work in McDonald's. Yeah. And that's a great place to be because at some point you're going to have a payday which yeah. will set you up for the next show. Yeah, and I'll take that money and put it right back into new projects, new art projects. <laughs> right, right. So you're not gonna go out and buy a Mercedes is what you're telling me. Yeah, no, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> I, I want to, I've got too many fun projects that, that I want to see yeah. uh, come to fruition. So that's where, that's where my money's going. Smart man. Okay, so I asked this question to all my guests uh, at the end of the podcast, and that is, what piece of advice would you give a young artist that wants a career in this field? What's one piece of advice? You've given us lots of advice already, so I guess it might be a little challenging, but if you could come up with one more piece of advice, what would it be? I'm, I might be uh, reiterating what I said a little bit, but I think what it, what it is, and I don't know everyone's path, what, it, what I needed to hear was that, number one, I needed to be 100% authentic, Number two, I needed to know that there was not one path, that my path would be different and unique and that's okay. Or it would just, it would, it, it's not something that I can, would be able to measure. So be okay with that. And I guess number three, um, all of that being said, eliminate fear as much as possible. Take leaps, be bold with what you're doing, be vulnerable, authentic, but be bold with that. Uh, no fear, no fear, fear, overthinking and fear holds everything back. Be yourself. It's okay. And do it to the best of your ability with no safety nets. That's what I wish I would have heard. With no safety net. I love that last statement. You know how many times we've talked about that in the podcast, the safe, the dreaded safety net. (laughs) We're not authentic. If we have a safety net, we can't be really ourselves i don't think yeah um we've got to we got to just leap we got to take leaps and um yeah and and god i mean there's so many 
I could talk. I could. I could talk for five minutes about more things, you know. But that's. I think that's the best summary. Um, and uh, also do every do. The, I mean, it goes without saying. Do all this for the right reasons. I mean, this is a hard business. It, it's. I, I don't. If 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 someone, I would also want to say this though. Lastly, if a person is doing this because they want to get famous or make a lot of money or whatever, that's the wrong. You're in the wrong business. This is not. You, you you gotta be an artist because you have to be an artist because it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. And you're gonna take the escape route or you're gonna find little ways of cutting corners. If, if, if this is really for you, then it's gonna be hard and it's okay that it's hard. And, and you're not gonna wait around for those magic formulas and the, the magic person to help you and what's the secret. The secret is it's, damn hard and it just you just got to keep you you do it because you love it and you have to do it yeah and uh, everything else just works you know those are the reasons i think those are the real reasons that we should be doing this if if some little fame comes and some money comes that's nice and all that just kind of helps pay the bills i guess but that's not the that's not a good reason i don't believe in that um not to say anyone can do things the way they want to do it i just don't believe in that that's good advice. You know, I usually don't comment on people's advice, but I got to you keep saying good stuff. My personal thought is that 95, 99, maybe 99% of people don't get into this for fame and money. That would be who who thinks they're going to become a famous painter, right? But then <laughs> then they start making money and getting a little attention and then the priorities shift. I think that's where the problem happened. That happened to me a little bit. And then yeah. you start to go, same, wait a minute, same, same, same. you same. can, I can get, I can get attention and money from this career. So I didn't come into it like that. I came into it thinking I'd be poor, but then when that wasn't what was happening, then my priorities, the temptation was to let my priorities slip. I think that's when it, right. yeah. And that, that was that was your experience as well. Absolutely. Uh, I wish I could go back in time and knock myself over the head. Casey, <laughs> what are you doing, man? This, you know, but I, it's, I can't, you know, we can't be too hard. Did the best I could. You did the best you could. Yeah. It's easy to be led astray. It's easy to get distracted. The little shiny, sparkly things of life are there to, and, and then there comes a point where we have to drop all of that and say, no, 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 no. It's not about any of this. Um, no. I mean, to me, the whole point, and this is the first thing I tell my students in a workshop, why are you doing this? You should know the answer to that. And, it, and if you think you know, double check that you know, because the why you're doing it can dictate your, your true level of success and your fulfillment in this. If you're doing these things for the wrong reasons, it might be very damaging to you and to the world. Um, and not to say what the right reasons should be, each person has their own reasons, but it's something that's very important, I think. Um, you yeah. know, I don't know, my, my, my personal reasons for doing painting is, is really just to communicate with others and to hopefully allow other people to see a deeper version of themselves through the paintings, see themselves through a new perspective. Great conclusion. That's what Love it. Man, it's been so great. I, I wish it didn't take us 15 years to to uh, continue our conversation. <laughs> Jeff, this has been such a, a pleasure and a privilege. I have looked up to you and your work for years, and uh, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to 
dive deep into the philosophies and craziness of, of, of arts. And I appreciate also you that you're doing this. I appreciate what it is that you do in your arts, your paintings, and how you give back to the world. And I, uh, I just, I hope that that continues uh, and wish you all the success. Same to you, man. We are, we are, we're not competitors, we are comrades. I, I absolutely appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.